So those of you who uh, actually you don't even have to know me very well, you'll quickly learn that I am a bit of a clean freak. Um, you know, I'll come up here. I see, see, I see smiles on people who know me's faces. They're like, "Yeah, I know this deal." You come into my office, and uh, you'll notice that even if I've got lots of paper on my desk, somehow everything is at right angles, uh, nice and straight. Um, Migs will tell you when the boys have a meal at the dinner table. I'm the first one there with a cloth to kind of clean up any mess. I was chatting with someone the other day about robot vacuums. And, um, and they were saying, have you considered the robot vacuum? And I said, I have considered it, um, but I haven't implemented it because uh, if you get a robot vacuum, I all know that you really only have them work when you're not around. And so the thought of that rice sitting there on the ground for three hours and only getting picked up after I go to bed is just, just beyond me. I just can't hack it. So, like, it's just not going to work for me. So I'm a bit, of a, a bit of a clean freak. But at the same time, I love working in the garden. I love working in the garden. You know, dust on a mantelpiece can kind of drive me nuts, especially if someone's written in it. You know, the old classic clean me on the back of the car. I'm like, not funny, people. Not funny. If you're going to go to the effort to write a message, you might as well do the whole thing. All right? Anyway, so that kind of dirt bothers me. But in the garden... I love getting in the dirt. I love uh, getting my hands dirty. I feel like you miss a piece of what it means to be human if you don't get your hands in the dirt every so often. And so uh, you kind of dig in there. I love moving uh, different plants and planting plants and getting the water all happening. Because for me, I've kind of got this love-hate relationship with dirt. You know, there's a sense in which I hate it in some contexts and I absolutely love it in other contexts. Dirt in the wrong place can drive us nuts, but dirt in its right place can be fruitful and thriving and brilliant, in fact. And, uh, and so today, uh, as we engage in this brand new series, we're going to be talking about dust or dirt and delight. Now, I want to give you a heads up with this series. This series is basically going to take us to Easter, uh, and we're calling this series The Beginning um, and I know for those of you who have been part of this church for a long time, you see the word Genesis and it hooks back to years ago when apparently it took you like ages to get through, which apparently was brilliant and people love it and all that too. But at the same time, this series, what we're going to be doing is really just looking at the first kind of 11 chapters of Genesis, the kind of the prologue, uh, because there is some profound truth in there that we need to regularly revisit when it comes to understanding what it means to be human. I'm also aware that just as I talk about the mess of dirt and dust, when you're engaging in the chapters of Genesis 1 to 11, it can also be a different kind of messy. I'm aware of that. And especially here at ASBC, right? Because there is a whole bunch of people from different backgrounds, different theological traditions, different understandings. And as we engage with this text, the person next to you might have a different way of thinking or interpreting Scripture to that which you have, and you might not even know it, right? So I want to make something clear from the beginning, and I'm actually going to do this at the beginning of most of these messages just to make sure we're on the same page. This series is not about embracing or promoting a specific hermeneutic. Now, that's a big word, hermeneutic. That just means way of interpreting the Bible, okay? That's not what this series is about. Okay, so even in our congregation, this might scare you. I know that there's young earth creationists. I know there's old earth creationists. I know there's theistic designers. We've got a whole spectrum here, right? And guess what? It's okay. It's okay. These positions sit squarely within Christian orthodoxy. You're fine. But that's not what this series is about, okay? And that's not what we're going with. I'll tell you what this series is about. 
This series is about seeking timeless revelation, timeless truth, okay? That is what this series is about. We're going to be engaging in some of these incredible stories, narratives, texts that are going to speak volumes, not just about something that happened a long time ago or a short amount of time, depending on where you're at with that, but it's going to speak to today. And that is actually the most critical thing. It's about seeking timeless revelation. What does God, from this ancient text, want to teach us about who he is, about who we are, about how we ought to see our neighbors, and how we ought to treat the earth? Because these are very, very important questions. And so we're not going to shy away from things that can get messy, because that truth is far too important. So, here we go. If you go to your Bible, feel free to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. I know you're like, Genesis 1, where's Genesis 1? Don't worry. In a couple of weeks, actually, we're going to be going back to Genesis 1. We've got Elliot Keane from BCSA, and he's going to be engaging in that space in a couple of weeks' time. But today, Genesis 2. So let's read this. Now, no shrub. And I, sorry, I should say this first. Genesis 1 and 2, it's a big story. It's a big narrative, so we can't go through the whole thing today. If you've never read it before, I encourage you to read it, but we're just going to be dipping into certain areas, okay? So just FYI. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So here we are in Genesis chapter 2. There's kind of, kind of two uh, accounts of creation in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and we're here in the second one here. And, uh, and it's basically saying, hey, hey, nothing had kind of appeared yet. The, the whole water situation is a little bit different to maybe how we kind of picture it nowadays. But in this context, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, this is a really important thing, and this is what we're going to talk about when you talk about dust today. I love this in the Hebrew. This is so good. So in the original Hebrew in which it was written, it says this, then the Lord God formed a man, that is Adam in the Hebrew, Adam. Is that familiar to you? Adam, Adam, right? Okay, so the Hebrew word, right, for man is Adam, okay? From the dust afar of the ground, Adama, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. These are three really key words here, just in that one verse. The Lord God formed an Adam from the afar of the Adama, right? So essentially that sentence right there in the Hebrew, we could literally translate... Dirt man was made from dusty dirt. That's what's going on here, right? So the word Adam, or the name we get Adam, as it's translated, is from the Hebrew word Adam, which is from the Hebrew word Adama, which means ground or dirt, right? And so when you look in your Bible and you see Adam with a capital A, that's just the capitalization of the Hebrew word Adam, which means dirt or dirt man, okay? And this is really, really important. Okay, and this doesn't take away anything from any particular theological tradition. What we're trying to tap into here is what is the author trying to tell us about what it means to be human? Because this phrase from the dirt or from the dust is going to keep on cropping up all the way through Scripture. 
and it is deeply, deeply significant. Now, I know that last week, you know, Ian called you a brick, and he was a little concerned about that if you were there. Uh, this time uh, today, I'm going to call you dirt, so I don't know whether that ranks like up or below, but, but nevertheless, there is something deeply profound about understanding that we were made from the dust. We were made from the dirt. That is how it is described. But this wasn't just the kind of dirt that is like useless and meaningless and like stuck up on the shelf and drawn in. Actually, this dirt was loaded with potential. Loaded with potential. And so I want to pick up on a few of the themes that we see throughout the early account that describes the nature of this dirt. It says, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east and there he put the dirt man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, skipping a little bit ahead, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So what we see, again, in this, in this creation account is we have God who, who, who makes this, this Adam, this man Adam, from the dust, from the dirt, and then he gives him meaningful work to do. This is really, really important. Meaningful work to do. I've got a job for you. Remembering that this story is before sin. Okay. Now, I know some of you kind of think about work and go, well, that feels like sin, right? I hope not. I hope it's meaningful. I hope you're missional in that environment. But this is before sin has entered the story, right? Work by God has already been given to his creation. And he says, I've got a job for you. I want you to work in this garden and take care of it. This is so critical because right there from the beginning, God gave the man meaningful work to do. You were created by God before sin entered the picture for meaningful work. Now, I don't know if that kind of shifts your perspective on how you're giving your time and your energy, right? But, but, but work isn't a result of the fall. Work is hardwired into the way that God created us to experience life, which makes sense. It makes sense why we get a sense of meaning and purpose about the work that we do or when our work doesn't satisfy why there is a kind of a gap and an absence. Because God created us for meaningful work. Here's another reference. I'm just doing a summary of Genesis 1 here, okay? Quick summary of Genesis 1. A few pick-up bits. Then God said in the first account, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds. And it was so, and God saw that it was good. A little bit later on, God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth and across the vault of the sky. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. Verse 24, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. 
Now, I've just taken a few kind of pieces out of what is a very grand narrative there in Genesis chapter 1. But do you notice the detail in some of these statements? When God created, it wasn't just like, here, have more whales, right? He wasn't just creating and then like throwing more in. What he did is he loaded creation with the potential to produce more. Where does the vegetation come from? The land. Let the land produce the vegetation. And then these are going to be seed-bearing plants that then produce more. He isn't just looking and saying, we need more trees. Here, have some more trees. He's instilling creation with potential, with its own creativity. Even the birds and the mammals, it's saying, be fruitful and increase in number. He's not just with a word speaking out here, have a few more birds. He's saying, I'm giving you something, but I'm instilling that with incredible potential for creativity and for it to make more. Notice the word that is used all the way through Genesis chapter 1, when God reflects upon his creation, he says that it was good. Now, good, this is a very, very important word. Because, see, in our Western mindset, we think of, like, creation as being perfect. But when something is perfect, right, it means that it's unchanging. You can't move perfect. It has nowhere to go. But God describes creation as good. It is filled with potential, filled with possibility. And this is important for us to understand when it comes to us as well as humans. Creation was good and described as good. It didn't describe it as perfect. It was good and so it was loaded with potential. We are loaded with potential. That's right. That is how God made us. And then thirdly, right at the end of the Genesis 1 account, God saw all that he had made. This is after creating humans. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so all the way through the Genesis narrative, it's like, good, 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 good. And then he makes humans in his own image. And suddenly things are very good. It's significant. It's significant. And what we see here isn't just the end of the creation narrative there in Genesis chapter 1. What we see is that humans... Humanity were the catalyst for the very good. I described this, uh, was it last week or the week before, when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Often people translate it. It's actually the word mayod, very. It's that same word from very good. Heart, soul, and very. When God looked at the earth and saw that what he had made, and when he saw the humans there, he said, oh, now things are very good. We've taken these incredible narratives of creation, these incredible texts, and we start to see that there are these timeless truths that just simply emerge from them. But I want to take this one step further. All right. Now, uh, you may or may not be aware that uh, in the Bible we have some creation narratives. It's not the only creation narrative. All the different people groups of the world at various points in times had their own creation stories. This is really, really important because by comparison we get to learn about the nature and character of our God. So I want to just quickly reflect upon one of these, called the Enuma Elis, which is the Babylonian creation myth. And uh, this existed around about the same time as the Genesis account. But note some of the details from this particular creation narratives, or myth, so to speak. In the Enuma Elis, creation was birthed out of war and conflict. There were gods that were fighting against each other. And in some sort of divine accident as they fought, Earth was created, and humans were created. Secondly, when humans were created, 
their position, their posture were to be slaves for the gods. This was explicit. There's 11 chapters of Enuma Alice. And these are just two particular things that are very clearly emerged from this creation narrative. Now tell me, when you look at those particular points, that earth was a divine accident, that humans were created for slavery to the gods, versus what we see in Genesis, just drawing out a couple of these profound truths, that God gave man meaningful work to do, that creation was loaded with potential, that humanity was the pinnacle of creation. Imagine for a moment a child who is trying to work out their worth and value and place in this world. How would their life be different if they chose to acknowledge the truths on the left versus the truths on the right? If you've got a child who recognizes that I've got, God has given me meaningful work to do, I am filled with potential. Humanity was the pinnacle of creation versus the child who grows up going, I am simply part of a divine accident and I'm meant to be slaves to the gods. Can you see how the story matters? How deeply the story matters? And I'm talking about a child, but this is true for each one of us as well. What happens in the beginning matters. There are timeless truths that we need to understand for ourselves because it's not just about what happened back then, it's about how we see ourselves today. Now, we quickly learn in the Genesis account that this Adam, this Adam, and this potential that God had instilled him with had the great possibility of good, but of course it had the great possibility for evil. And as we read in Genesis chapter 3, and as the story continues, we discovered that the people chose not to trust God. They trust, chose not to trust what was true about themselves, and they ate of the fruit. And this is the thing about dirt, right? This is the thing about Adama and Adam. Dirt can be turned into a beautiful sculpture, if used well, turned into a thing of beauty. But dirt can also be used to throw in someone's face, <laughs> right? This is profound. And so right from the beginning, we are introduced to attention. A God who creates a deeply loved, yet deeply flawed dirt. <laughs> right at the beginning there. It's like, ah, oh, I love you. You're loaded with potential. You're the pinnacle of creation. Ah, oh, so very good. But also holding a potential for evil. Later, the psalmist would write, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And doesn't this speak to the character of God? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. It's like, God's like, he knows the potential, he knows the risk. He knew this from the beginning of creation. And you know what? His compassion and his mercy continues to extend. He's like a father who keeps reaching out to us, even knowing we've got that potential, but so often choose evil. He's like, he remembers that we were formed from the dust. And this is what we wrestle with. This is the tension that we wrestle with right here from the beginning. 
we are both dust and God's delight. Both these things simultaneously. We're flawed, we've got limitations, and yet God loves us and instilled us with so much potential. And we wrestle with this reality. We wrestle with the fact that we don't always have it all together. We don't always make the wise choice. Sometimes we choose not to trust the love that God, our Creator, has for us. And yet He does. And later Paul writes about this in Ephesians. He says in verse 8 of chapter 2, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, this is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And because we are God's delight, and because we are dust, there is this kind of internal battle that always goes on between us, around where we get our worth and our significance. Sometimes we seek to pursue our worth and significance via our works. If only I can earn God's favor. I've got to kind of creep out of my dustness, my dirtness, in order to be loved. And this is what Paul tries to counter. It's like, hey, hey it's not by works that you are worthy. God knows that you're dust. God knows how you are formed. You are already God's delight. In fact, the God of compassion has reached out again by grace because it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. For you are God's handiwork. You were created to do this meaningful work. You were loaded with potential. You were the pinnacle of creation. God gave you meaningful work to do. Remember? One, two, three. That's all there. But if those are the truths and the characteristics that you use to determine your worth and significance, if that's what you pursue, then you're going to end up falling short. But God knows we're dust. He knows that we need his grace, despite our attempts to earn it. One funny story. Oh, yeah, work versus workmanship. One funny story. We, um, back in my last couple of years at Crossway, um, uh, where I was doing youth ministry down there, we'd run a camp each year, a winter camp. And, uh, and each year we wanted a memory maker. Um, this was something you know, that would really secure the history of that particular camp in the minds of the young people. And so we did like giant like water slides. One year we kind of shipped a whole bunch of ice and made a snowfield. It was kind of crazy. It was in the middle of winter. So we just kind of did these things. Anyway, it was coming to uh, what would be my final year at Crossway. And I think it was after youth one Friday night, we were catching up at McDonald's with a bunch of youth leaders. And suddenly we had this idea for a human slingshot. And we thought, this is a great idea. This is a really good idea. Could you imagine what a memory maker this would be? And so we started to, to scribble down on the, on the Macca's bit of paper, like some initial designs uh, around how this could particularly work. And we thought, you know, we were very safety conscious. Okay, we're very safety conscious. We're like, we're not just going to chuck a kid in a slingshot and just shoot him out into a lake, right? Because that would be crazy, right? So, so we thought, we won't do that. What we'll do is we will encapsulate him in a Zorb ball. Now, if you've ever had a, seen a Zorb ball, it's one of those inflated balls that you kind of sit inside and are strapped into and then you roll down a hill usually. But we thought that should provide sufficient kind of 
damage protection, right, so that when they go into the air and then they land on the water, maybe they'll just kind of hit it and roll and, and that should be fine, absorbs, float, all that jazz. So we thought this is a really great idea. And so for the next kind of uh, about six months, I started to work on this project on the side. And, um, and at first, I, uh, I kind of dropped some designs. And, and just to give you an idea of how this was going to work, so the idea was that we would um, have two big uh, beams or big pillars, ideally trees. Uh, we would strap a whole lot of ten tension kind of bands to a giant ring that would sit behind the Zorb. And then we would have a chain that we would attach to a car, and that would tow it out under tension. And then we just had a little like switch that we just kind of pull, and whoosh, off she goes. Now, if you're an engineer here, you know that that clearly is not going to work. But we were committed to the idea. And so um, I, I started to, to form a few kind of, uh, I tried one out in the Crossway car park. It didn't work so well. Um, and we ultimately got down to the camp with the Zorball, with this giant metal ring and this slingshot ready to go. But of course, we weren't going to try it before trying it ourselves. You know, we, we thought we'd have to try it ourselves. And I must admit, at this particular point, I invested a lot of time and energy into this slingshot. And as much as I really wanted it to work, I was pretty sure it wasn't going to work. Just physics wouldn't allow it to work in terms of the weight versus the power. So anyway, we went down to the lake and there was this little pier this little short pier, and we set it up, so, uh, and we, we attached it, and we pulled the car back, and we videoed it. I'm not going to show the video, but, um, but if you want to see the video, I can show the video. Anyway, I believe it starts with, this looks safe. Uh, anyway, and, um, anyway, so we pulled it back, and, um, and, and basically we put one of our leaders in it, because we thought, well, we've got to test it with human weight. And anyway, so we pulled it back as far as we could, we let it go, and boom, it slowly pushed this Zorball over and over and over again. It didn't get any air. It just rolled and rolled and rolled off the end of the pier and went plop in the water. And we're all standing there with our hands on our hip as this Zorb just slowly floats away with the leader in it. And we're just standing there going, well, we didn't think about how to get it back. <laughs> but in that moment, there was just this sense of, you'd expect after all that effort and all that energy and all that engineering that I'd be disappointed. But you know what? I actually really loved it. I loved that we had tried. I loved that we hadn't got halfway and said, no, nah, this isn't going to work. I love that we pushed it through to the very end. And even though all it ended up with was a little bit of a push and a plop in the lake, I still love that slingshot. And for me, this is a really long way of saying, I think in that moment for me, that's kind of how God feels about us. There's this sense in which it's like, hey, sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't, but just the fact that you have this inherent value, that there was this beauty to the process, beauty to the creativity, sometimes it'll land, sometimes it works, but won't, but there's a sense of like, I love it still. I love it. And I wouldn't have taken back any of that time or any of that energy at all. Because we laugh and we delight that this thing was, let's be honest, we remember that it was dust, yeah. It was just an idea but we loved it. And I think this can be true about us too when it comes to this tension between being dust but God's delight. In a world that makes us earn everything, God just invites us to accept that we are loved because we are his. We don't have to produce anything in order to be loved. He's loaded us with potential, but even if it doesn't turn out the way that we want, maybe even the way that he wants, that doesn't change his love for us. And we see this all the way back in Genesis. 
there's this um, rabbinic practice that the rabbis used to talk about, and it was picked up by Philip Yancey in one of his books as well, but it came long before that. Uh, and, uh, and it was this rabbinic practice that reflected upon the reality of this dust and delight that God created us to experience. Because the rabbis were aware that there were going to be certain times when we got a bit arrogant. <laughs> and the biblical narrative and the history of Israel uh, and in fact even the church, there are times when we know we've got arrogant. Maybe we've lent a little bit too much into the delight and forgotten that we are dust. But then there's other people who are, who are just wellowing in the fact that they are dust and they've forgotten that they are God's delight. And we can find ourselves in either of these places at any point in our life. But the question is, where do we find ourselves today? And the rabbis would say that each man or woman should carry two stones. I've got two in my pocket right here. They would say that each man should carry two stones and on one is written, dust. And that's to remind me that I am but dust and ashes. I am Adam, I am Adama. But the second rock would say for me that the world was created for me. For my sake, the world was created. And I would say at any particular day, people could have these two stones in their pocket. And as they woke up each morning, they would reach into the pocket and they'd just pull out one of these stones. And in that moment, we might be reminded, ah, I'm dust. <laughs> and God remembers that. And another day, we might reach into our pocket and need to be reminded that the world was created for me. Meaningful work, full of potential, pinnacle of creation. And the rabbis would say that he should use each stone as often as he needs it. We need to know both these things. It's core to what it means to be human. And so my question for each of us today and for those joining us online is, which one do you need to take out of your pocket today? Do you need to reach in and pull out? For me, you need that reminder that God delights in you regardless of what you produce. Or do you need to pull out dust and be reminded just as the psalmist did in Psalm 103, that God's faithfulness endures even though we were created from the dust. As often as you need it, may you reach into your pocket. And if you need these stones that I'm carrying, they're yours. I can make more. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that we can engage in what can seem like really messy parts of scriptures, but there's just such beauty and such truth that is contained within them around how we see ourselves and, and who you are. And, and God, we want to thank you that you are the God who is so faithful, who loves us, who is for us. Thank you that we are your handiwork. <laughs> and because we are your handiwork, we don't need to produce in order to have our worth known, but rather you love us exactly because we are yours, created by you. 
And so, God, I just want to pray, God, if there's anyone here right now who feels like they're just sitting, maybe because of what they've heard in the past, maybe because of their current experiences, they're sitting in that dust space right now. And it doesn't feel like they are worthy. It doesn't feel like they are loved. I just want to pray, God, that by some means today they would reach into their pocket and be reminded that for them the world was created. And God, for those who know your love in a rich, deep way, I pray that you would protect us against arrogance. <laughs> I pray that you would protect us against excuses. And God, may we once again fall into your grace, knowing that we are dust, and you remember that. And it's not because of our efforts and our energies, God, that you save us, but it's by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.